Hello, listeners. Welcome to Freelance Friday with Vay Casey, a podcast all about freelancing through the opinions and experience of a current full-time freelancer. And uh, today's episode is one from a series of interviews with members from Weld. Weld is a collaborative workspace. Uh, They have a location in Nashville, and there used to be a location in Dallas where I was a member at for four years, and uh, really helped me get my freelance um, business going and kind of get into that world. Um, during my time there, I learned a lot, and I made a lot of great relationships with some incredible creatives in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. And so uh, I decided to reach out to a few of them um, to see if they would be interested in doing interviews, and grace, graciously uh, and gratefully they accepted And so uh, these few episodes are going to be those interviews with them. And so uh, today's interview is with Matt Johnson. He is a local filmmaker and specializes primarily in weddings, but also has garnered quite a following on YouTube in regards to uh, how to shoot wedding videos and other uh, film video-related things. Uh, Matt, thanks so much for coming on today. Um, I, I... I always had a pretty solid connection with Matt from the time we met because, uh, as you'll see in a moment, he has a pretty substantial beard. And if you've ever seen any old photos or videos of me, my beard used to be almost as long as his, not quite. And so being bearded brothers, we kind of had that initial spark of a connection from the get-go. Matt's always been a really big inspiration to me. Uh, His work ethic and just being driven and and really being able to to focus in on uh, an area of expertise when I've had a hard time doing that sometimes myself. Uh, Anyway, without further ado, here's the interview with Matt. (laughs) I'm just going to be standing here like this the whole time. This feels like velvet to you. Yeah, it's very soft and velvety to the point of maybe like... It's a weird texture thing. I don't know. Not everybody like all textures. Yeah. This is how close do I need to be to this thing? Right up on that, buddy. So just right eating it. How yes. wow. Yes. yes. Okay. I can do that. Okay. You want like a stool or something you put your hands on or like? No, I'm fine. I'm really okay. <laughs> I never thought that the I'm table hot would ever. You know, I know. I'm weird. I'm really. I guess weird. a problem having a a problem with my tablecloth. Um, got Matt Johnson on the podcast today. Do I look at the camera too? Kind of. So okay. See the way I made the d- the table. It's like angled, so we can kind of like look at each other and look at the okay. camera. Kind of. Because I've been on some podcasts and they like just use the audio, but you have the camera, even though they have the camera. Sometimes they don't use the audio. The sometimes camera. I, you know, I do both. It's good. No, on, it's I'm, I'm up on uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Twitcher. Anchor. Glitcher, bitcher, all the all, all the, the itchers. itchers. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. So some of you might be wondering, who is Matt? This is him right here. This is me. Yes. So, dude, um, what have you been up to, man? So I know. First off, I know Matt from Weld, and if you've watched the show, listened to the show at all, you've heard me talk about Weld probably in just about every episode. Yep. And majority of the people that I've had on the show so far are people that I met there and I've got a lot more coming. So we're going to be talking about Weld a lot. Yeah. Rest in peace. R.I.P. Weld. It's been about a year almost and uh, I actually miss it quite a bit more than I thought I would sometimes. Very sad year. I haven't talked to Matt. We haven't hung out or really caught up since then, I don't think. So what, uh, dude, what have you been up to? Oh, man. 
my my life now is composed of either making wedding films or making YouTube videos. And with whenever there was Weld, there was a component of Matt's going to Weld to hang out with people, but now that's like gone away. So now it's just Matt's either off filming weddings, which I just shot one this weekend that was outdoors in a hundred and like hundred and four degree heat, something like that. Like No thanks. Yeah. It was it was pretty gnarly. And now I'm uh, working on it's either weddings or YouTube videos, so it's pretty nonstop. So Matt is a bit of a YouTube superstar on the rise. I think you just hit 100k followers or subscribers on YouTube, right? Yeah, yeah, it's been it's been pretty it's been pretty meteoric. It's been really really awesome. Don't be sleeping on Matt. Basically, <laughs> Matt's a very unassuming guy, cool guy, chill guy. He, uh, I mean, honestly, we have never really like hung out or talked a lot, and and like I said, it's been a while, and so seeing this stuff on YouTube and I'm just like, oh man, he's, he's getting stuff done over here. What's, uh, so what's that, what's that process been like, man? Yeah, it's, it's something I've definitely kind of fallen into, I would say, unlike uh, a real job or something like that, I feel where it's like, I'm going to go out and do this. I feel like some of the best creative things just kind of happen naturally. And for me, I was, making wedding films, very happy doing that. Occasionally making little blog post educational stuff, very minor. And then in 2015, late 2015, about October, a friend of mine said, hey, you should start making educational stuff. You know a ton. You've taught me a ton. And I was like, okay, fine. I'll just I'll just try like doing a camera view like Philip Bloom does or something like that. And I did this camera view, and that just like took off. And it's got a couple hundred thousand views now. People really like it. And so that was kind of the the starting catalyst of me going from getting like 50 subscribers a month or something like that to just this this growth of, oh my gosh, I'm getting like a thousand per month. This is nuts. And that's how it was for like a year. And then that number changed to like 5,000 per month. And it's been just kind of, oh. And that was originally just from one like video, uh, like camera review video. Yeah, one, one camera review. Yeah, and then there was just, I was seeing that there was a gap in the educational space especially for wedding filmmaking educational content because i'm sure you've seen this in other aspects of filmmaking too there was a big i feel like in the late 2000s it was all conferences we got to go to conference got to go right, to workshop right, right. got to go learn at a, in some hotel ballroom somewhere and so they'll do like some traveling event of education and youtube has completely changed all that like why would you go to some conference when you can just sit in your house and just watch some dude ramble about something than learn something so i mean i think unless you're wanting the like hands-on or like meeting with other people in person which i feel like there is a lot of value kind of to that but hey i drove all the way down like it's there's there's a lot more uh it's a lot more streamlined yes definitely when you're streaming online everybody's lazy now like people even to like i'll be talking to my wife and i'll be like we could go to Redbox. she's like i don't want to leave the house i'm like yeah, it's true. We we should we should just stream it here. Like I'll pay the extra like two dollars to not have to leave my house. This is a good deal. So, with your YouTube stuff now, uh, what a uh, you just doing educational stuff or what's? I've seen a couple of your videos. I'm really bad about watching other people's content. I'm getting better. Don't sweat it. Don't sweat it. No, it's okay. I have your. I I haven't listened to your album yet. So it's okay. <laughs> don't hate me. I don't um, hate you. <laughs> um, not, yeah, not too much. I feel like for um, for me, it's 
for especially with YouTube and stuff, it's kind of a am I either editing wedding films or am I editing YouTube videos? And the benefit of editing wedding films is that they give me credibility for the YouTube videos because my YouTube videos are about how to get better at wedding filmmaking. So if I show here's a competently made wedding video, people are like, oh, good, this guy's competent. Let's watch his educational stuff that's clearly competent. So it kind of kind of works together in that way. Do you ever – it's been – Three years you've been doing the educational stuff, right? Two and a half, three, yeah. Do you have you ever felt like you've reached a point where you're just kind of like rehashing the same stuff, or 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 like you get caught talking about the same stuff over and over, or is it what's that like? Um, a little bit, but only because in the past few months I have been asked to. Uh, speak at a conference. So I spoke uh, at this B&H conference in New York City, the Depth of Field conference for photographers and filmmakers in the wedding industry, which is really cool. And initially, I was like, what do you want me to talk about? Because just, I can talk about whatever you want kind of thing. And they said, hey, we really love this video you made about audio a while back. We would love if you could just talk about audio. And so that was kind of a rehash in the sense of, it was me talking about a lot of the stuff that I talked about before, but it was updated for 2018. Here's new gear, new equipment, but like at the same time, yeah, right. So then, so so with with making new stuff, new educational stuff, or new YouTube videos, where do you pull from to, for like what kind of stuff? Because like part of the reason we talked about this a little bit before, uh, some of the trouble I've had with the podcast is that I wanted to do something educational and thinking like. And hoping to get a lot of interaction, people like kind of giving feedback, like, "Oh, I want to hear about this stuff," and that just didn't happen. And so, I ended up just kind of trying to make stuff up, and and it just like it just is it's it's not really doing much. Yeah, yeah. But it, um, what I'll say about that is I have a big notepad file on my phone, and probably like ten pages long now of just ideas, and this is. If I have even the slightest inkling of an idea, I write it down. I write down junk all the time that makes no sense. Like two days ago, I was standing at this wedding and at the reception, Rachel's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, I had an idea. Hold on. And I'm like standing in the corner, like writing down this random idea that I had. But the reasoning for that, what I what I excites me about that is that I can usually develop that idea later on. So I keep a writing thing by my bed just in the event that like I wake up and I re- need to write down something. Cause I'll, I'm a person that like at 2 AM when I'm like finally like almost asleep cause I'm, I stay up late, but when I'm almost asleep, I'll have some idea and I've like woken myself up and it's to the point now where my wife, Rachel is like, Oh, Matt's turning the light on again. He had another idea. Like, and so <laughs> I'm like, okay, sorry, don't mind me. And I have to like turn on the light, write this thing down and then just fall back asleep, you know? But if you don't write it down at that moment, you tell yourself, oh, I'll remember tomorrow. You won't remember tomorrow. It doesn't happen. <laughs> no. Even if you do, it's not near what it was then. Yeah. And so for me, a lot of my initial early emphasis for the educational stuff that I want to make, and this may help you too, is I started making educational stuff based on questions that I had struggled with. So for me, there was... Uh, when I was early starting off, like I wasn't sure about export settings for videos, for example, 
Like that is a black box of you edit your video and then you get to the point where it's, oh, I need to actually export this thing. And you open up the media export thing. It's there's just this, so much there. It is a. I'll admit that years and years in, there's still so many things in there that I yeah. just. I've never messed with. I don't know what they do. You just hit the preset. You're like, YouTube, great. Export. Make done. a couple of tweaks. Okay. And so what I what I realized is if I have something that I've struggled with to figure out, there is probably a thousand other people that have struggled with this exact same thing. So even if it's something really mundane, like I made a video about frame rates recently. Like here's the frame rates that I use. And People have commented so many times, thank you for explaining this in a simple and easy to understand way. And it's a basic thing, but people don't get it. And I didn't get it for a while. And so if you just think about yourself as, hey, I'm here like for your music, for example, you are already much further along than a lot of people are. You got a studio set up, you got foam, like you could make a whole video just about setting up foam on your ceiling. And hey, that like people would watch that. So as long as you're further along, the path than other people you can educate all of the people that are below you and that helps i i find it fascinating that with as many people as there are in the world and all the videos and all the stuff out there that there's like still lanes for new content like that to be made because at some point it just feels like oh so many people have done this before but i keep having to remind myself that it's like yeah it's not a matter though necessarily if somebody's done it before it's a matter of who's the one there whenever that person's looking for it. Exactly. Um, I've heard the term, and I've said this a lot, um, the riches are in the niches, they say. And what I mean by that is that the generic content has already been filled. You know, how to make video. Like, that's just sort of right. generic video product thing. How to record song. Like, that's there's a billion searches for that, but the top people have already taken that spot. But if you are saying how to record video in basement studio, like you get stuck in like really specific. Like for me, it's not how to make a video. It's how to film a wedding, which is a far greater niche of probably only like a couple hundred thousand people in the world versus like a massive, you know, community of filmmakers in general. If you get down to that niche, suddenly you have a lot more people that are interested. So um, there's this guy. Graham Cochran. I don't know if you've listened to him before. He I'm runs not. this. He has a site called The Recording Revolution on YouTube, and very popular guy. A couple hundred thousand subscribers, um, but he also has a massive email list, and he has all these educational stuff. But his whole focus for educational content is how to record studio quality audio in your own home. That's a far greater niche than just record audio. Yeah. Yeah, that is. What uh Okay, let's talk about your freelancing a little more. <laughs> your your stuff. You I know you went to AM. Pretty proud of that. <laughs> I feel like most people that go to AM are. It's a good thing. What uh can you give me your background a little bit, man? What's what's gotten yeah. you to where you're at? Well, it's funny because I went to a engineering school and I would say it's 75% mechanical, petroleum, electrical engineers. All of my roommates at a were all engineers for the most part. And then you have me. And <laughs> I was like, I like video. This is fun. So 
my parents bought me a little Sony point-and-shoot digital camera in 2006. Started playing around with that. It would record 12 minutes at a time, like total, before the memory cards were full. Not not clip length, but wow. <laughs> literally in standard definition. <laughs> Autofocus, that's it. You're like, well, hope this works out. So made really dumb YouTube videos with it. Started really enjoying it, though. And then um, I ended up upgrading cameras finally. Kind of got on the Canon 7D when that started happening. Started making more and more videos. And people started to say, hey, will you come and film my wedding? And I said, oh, okay, great. So that was kind of the catalyst there. But what's what's funny is that at the time at A&M, when I was starting to do video, there was only five other people on campus doing video, if if that, that were pursuing it professionally in a sense. And you've seen A&M now, now they have like a new liberal arts building, they have all these new buildings, They're like, hey, we're trying to focus on the arts now. But when I was there, it's like, you're not doing engineering, why are you here? And so the cool thing was is that I was able to get connected with A&M's marketing department, who had started doing a lot more video work, and other companies like that, or uh, other organizations that were valuing video. And so that helped out a lot. I feel like that's a, you're not the first person that I've seen that, is, that has had success coming out of college like that. Um, I actually, my buddy Jordan Lessig, whenever we went to college together, um, I mean, that's kind of where I started. To college together? Yeah. What? Yeah, DBU. That's where we met, man. Nice. He, uh, dude, he was like the photographer for like all the DBU weddings for years. And I mean, we were gone from DBU for probably two or three years and we were still getting stuff from there. Like as everybody was going and it's like, you'd go to the wedding, it was all the same people. Um, and, and so I, it's, it's interesting to see how much that kind of like carries through and like, will really like propel you forward. Had you, when you go into AM, had you originally gone for like an engineering or anything <laughs> like that or what, why, why there? Yeah, I I actually, growing up, really loved computers. Loved uh, building them, loved messing with them. Had, my parents had a 300 megahertz Pentium II compact that I learned on. That thing was a lot of fun. You know, it was like, I think it had a 64 megabytes of RAM. You know, just... That's, that's a lot, man. Unreal. Uh, 64 and, megs, wow. <laughs> and what ended up happening with that is that I said, hey, I like computers, like working with computers. I should do something in, in IT or something like that. So I found an undergrad major at, a at A&M called Technology Management. It was in the College of Education, but it was essentially IT but with a management minor, so a little bit more on the upper level. And that was a lot of fun. I ended up <laughs> – my grades, horrible in the first two years. And then once I got into the major, it was like all – A's and B's because suddenly I'm like, oh, I actually know and care about this stuff and, I'm, <laughs> and I want to do this. So that was cool. But at the same time, I was getting more and more into video. And so there was kind of this decision point of do I focus on computers and get into some IT cubicle job somewhere, which I guarantee you will pay more than what I was being paid at the initial <laughs> bit of filming weddings and stuff like that. Or do I like shoot for the stars, try it out on my own, try to try to make things work. And so I stayed on that path of attempting to do it on on my own, the freelancing quote unquote life. And it it worked out. Now you finished school though, right? I, I did, yeah. I okay. ended up sticking around and getting my masters out of it too. And so I got my masters in marketing because 
I kind of felt, okay, if I'm going to do full-time um, freelance and I'm going to keep on filming weddings and doing stuff like that, I think that marketing would help me out with that. And yeah, I'd imagine it probably has, right? It has. I find what the biggest difference it's made has probably been when people are like, oh, where'd you go to school? And they're like, oh, yeah, I went to AM and I got my master's. They're like, oh, your master's, wow. Oh, and I'm like, yep, it's cool. But <laughs> I, I, I think it was beneficial and definitely in thinking about things from a marketing perspective. At the same time, some of the classes were definitely like, we're going to learn about magazine marketing. And you're like, magazines aren't a thing anymore, you know? So I feel like that, and that's true of most like colleges is that they're, they're still as, as the internet has taken over, things have become more and more internet focused, but all the educational stuff is still catching up to that a bit. Yeah. Um, in hindsight, Going back, do you, are you glad you went to college? Would you recommend doing it? Is it something you feel you would have been better without or that you could have like stopped earlier or whatever? I think that whenever I have kids, I'm not going to require them to go to college. And reason being that if they feel like they could do better self-educating, through even, heck, watching YouTube videos or something like that. Or if they find that they want to pursue a trade or something like that that has a different sort of educational look, I think that that is, is a great option, especially considering how expensive college is now. I was very blessed to have parents that helped pay for a lot of my college, so I didn't have to worry about that as much in terms of student loan debt and things like that. But I think that the price to what you get out of college, especially in the current market, isn't necessarily there where it was before. And I'm not going to require my kids to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So the freelance stuff, you've been doing it full time for how long now? Oh, man, it's been, I graduated in December 2011. So if we consider like college being the, uh, shallow end of the pool where you still have a little bit of like, you know, I feel like you have the excuse of I'm a student. No, no, he's a student. Don't, don't like, Oh, it's okay. Like he's just, it's, you kind of get into it. Your training wheels. Yeah. And then December, 2011 hit. And I was like, Oh, I'm graduated now. And all these people at A&M who were all going off to big marketing jobs and things like that. I was over here like, Hey, um, I'm going to do my own thing. And so they have this spreadsheet that lists all of the names and contact info and jobs of all of the graduates of the marketing program at A&M. And mine just says entrepreneur under my section. <laughs> like, oh, well, thank you. Yes. <laughs> I feel like that's the term uh, is, uh, I feel like freelance and entrepreneur, you can, they're, they're not like the exact same, but if you're running your own business, then you're technically an entrepreneur. So it's like, Oh, Hey, okay, cool. But I, I jumped in. I said, all right, I'm graduating. I'm going to do this. And it, it worked out. What, what do you think have been like some of the most valuable lessons that you've learned? Like for a new freelancer, somebody that's like just starting out. Oh my gosh, dude. Uh, or maybe they've even been like in for a year or two, but they're still like at that. Cause it take it really, 
it takes years to get to a point where you're really kind of like consistently starting to see solid work and different stuff. I mean, I'm five years in and I'm still feeling like I'm not quite there yet. Totally, totally. I would say that the biggest thing for me was sitting down and figuring out my cost of living, which I didn't do for like a year. And if you don't do that, what you run into very quickly is, do I have money for rent? Do I have money for food? And so if you're, I'm a person that doesn't enjoy math. I don't like looking at numbers. So I'm like, I don't want to have to go through this. No, dang it. But if you don't do that, then that's where it's going to come back to bite you. So one thing that I do, and I encourage a lot of other people that I consult with that or that consult with me that ask me questions about like when they're getting starting out in wedding filmmaking or honestly any part of filmmaking is figure out your fixed costs, your cost of living, and then make your decisions about what to charge from that point. So that way you're not actually losing money or even worse, paying clients for the privilege of filming or working for them. You know, it's like, well, okay, I'll give you a discount. And then suddenly you realize oh, not only have I come to your place, brought my cameras, filmed you, I've also given you, like, here's $500 in cash as well for doing it. Cause... Thanks for doing business <laughs> with me. I hope you're happy. <laughs> exactly. Because <laughs> if you're not charging at least the the minimum for you to be able to offset all of your life costs, then you're you're definitely in trouble. And I think that, that comes back to bite a lot of freelancers early on, for sure. I think so. It It got me, for sure. Um, because I, I didn't know, like I kind of, I had done the cost of doing business calculation and I, and I, I kind of knew what I needed to be charging, but whenever you don't really, uh, until you experience like for real, like why you got to stick hard to pricing or something, it's like, uh, I can, I don't, I guess I can come down a little bit. I could do it for less, you know, I got to get to work. Yeah, it, it definitely starts like that. And I'm I'm now very much at the point of this is the value. This is what you're getting. Hope hope you want it. Okay, great. Let's do it. Cause in general, not <clears throat> and I'm not gonna say this is true of every every client. There are some wonderful clients and we give discounts for, for certain clients, we have discounts for different reasons, but usually in general, the clients that try to get a deal or ask you for a discount or things like that are usually the clients that are going to come back and they're going to want revisions. They're going to want changes. They're going to want all the extras. Oh, but we can't afford them. No, just, just give them to us. And so they're going to be the more clients you're going to have difficulty with too. Why do you think that is? That is a good question. I, I think that there's definitely a lack of knowledge and lack of value in the arts space right now, in music, in video, in any sort of artistic creative medium where the received value is a little less tangible. For example, a wedding film, because wedding films are primarily feeling-based. It's, how does this make me feel? Oh, I feel really good about this. This video makes me feel really good. But... You have clients that are saying, I want this thing, this thing, this thing. And it's a, it is less of a value of art. And so that's a, that's a definite issue. I think is that people do not value art as much, regardless of what that is. So if you hire a client, if you have a uh, 
client that values you, they're going to pay you. Straightforward. Do you, what do you think can be done to help uh, educate people on the value or to, to raise the value of, of work or kind of remedy that problem? Or can we? Is it just kind of like part of a th- life that has to exist? <laughs> We're getting deeply philosophical here. Like, how can we fix? The entire creative market, yes. <laughs> <laughs> We've done it. We fixed it here. Finally. In Casey's basement, it's happened. Oh, man. Um, Come back next week and I'll have five ways of how we did it. <laughs> For 10 easy payments, we'll tell you. <laughs> uh, what I would say, and this is not a, not, a, not a fix or anything like that necessarily, but I think that it's going to come more so from the from the freelancer side and not from the the client side. So it's not going to come from <laughs> every client is not going to wake up tomorrow morning and be like, you know, I should be paying people what they're worth. What have I been doing? Because honestly, this is true of any industry. You see it everywhere. Whenever people are putting up search for the lowest bids or people are hiring people to do menial labor for as cheap as possible. It's, it really comes down to us as creatives valuing ourselves, valuing our art, valuing our creativity and saying, no, this is, this is valuable and it is important. And so what we need to do is very much so take a stand and not in the sense of every single client, like, forget you, I'm going to charge you this much, you got to do it. But it's more so making sure that for the majority of your clients, because the majority of them should be paying clients, then you should be charging them a good amount. And that's going to come from you. That's going to come from you holding your ground and not being guilt tripped. And I feel like, I feel like part of being able to stick to that is process driven. Like you have to have a like, no, this is done this way. This is the process because then it's, while it's, it is an art, it's also seen more as a process or a business versus something that's like fluid um which i'm just kind of now starting to like (laughs) learn and to figure out how to process that totally and it can start as simply as like i said figuring out your fixed cost of doing business and then once you do that you need to have a day rate and you need to have a half day rate and you need to be able to stick to those and so if somebody calls you up and says hey i need you to come right now and film this thing you're like okay great it's going to be 800 bucks or whatever it is for your day rate. So that way you are know that you are getting paid and that way you're not going to be suffering later on whenever you have editing that you could be doing or other work that you could be doing that you're being taken away from now to go film something else or do something else for another client. How do you, in, in like your experiences in, in your position, um, say no to people whenever they're like to like walk away? Because it's it can be difficult whenever you are perpetually unemployed, and so you're, like, worried about being able to make a rent or whatever, and you see this, like, potential, like, money in front of you, like, (laughs) if I walk away from this and don't do this for less, I might lose it altogether. No, no, totally. I I think that that is, that's completely a a legitimate, a legitimate fear, you know? There's this thought of, uh, if I if I don't take this job, am I going to be living out of my car? Oh my gosh. And I, I lived that for, for years. If you uh, live out of your car, it's fine. That's not a, I didn't uh, correction. I did not live out of my car. I lived in fear of having to live out of my car <laughs> to be clear. And 
there has to be, and I do not have the perfect answer for this, but well, it doesn't be perfect. It's just your experience. <laughs> How do you, Matt Johnson, do it? In my experience, I I say this as somebody that shot his first wedding for five hundred dollars, his second wedding for six hundred, and then back down to four hundred for a friend, and then. <laughs> I remember the first time about a year later, I was like, I'm going to charge this couple $1,500. And they were like, we'll take it. I was like, wait, really? Holy crap. Okay. Uh, yeah. All right. Great. I'll be there. I'll film it. Great. I was freaked out. I was like, oh, crap. I didn't think I, they would actually pay this. This is insane. Um, what, I, what I mean to say by all that, though, is if I have a kind of philosophy that I follow in terms of if I'm going to take, take a job or not. And this all kind of ties in, I think, with, with how you can decide on whether this is a, this is a good gig or not. Um, and if you should take it and how you should charge and things like that. Cause uh, I don't feel like I have the perfect answer for like, here's how to fix, <laughs> here's how to fix and charge like this much, even if things are scary, but like my general philosophy for how I, how I take gigs is I consider three, three aspects. I consider, is this a good person? Are these good people that I'm going to be working with? Is this a good, is this a good client? Like, is this like for a good project and is it paying well? And if it's not like at least like two of those three, then I don't want to take it. There's also like the fourth of like, do I have time right now? Which I don't usually, <laughs> but, um, so if it's like good people, then I'm like, okay, great. Then, uh, that's really awesome. I like working with these people. Casey calls. I like working with Casey. This is great. Is this a good gig? Yeah, it's for Casey's podcast. Okay, great. Is it paying well? No, it's not. But that's okay because it's two of the three. So how would you, if 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 it was like a situation where like it didn't match up, how would you break that to somebody? Like what would you say? I, I would tell Rachel to email them. No. <laughs> Ra- Rachel's in charge of a lot of our emails now. Like she's so great because I'm so bad at email. And so she'll be like, I don't know. Like we don't, we're like, I don't know if this couple's the perfect fit for us. It's like, <sighs> all right, you go tell them, babe, love you. You know, like, I, I'm like, oh, no. I, I, like, we both, we'll, we'll both usually be on that phone call if we need to be. Or um, if if we have to break it to, 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 like, somebody and say no, usually we will always attempt to make sure that we offer them alternatives. So if... We have somebody that says, hey, we want you to film our wedding and it's going to be, end up being a, we can tell that it's not going to be the best fit for us, for our brand and for our marketing and for what they want. Because they're saying like, hey, we just want you to film the ceremony. We don't want you to film anything else. And we're like, that's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to create art here. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, in that case, then you can, then what we try to do is we'll try to offer up alternatives to them. So We'll reach out to friends of ours and say, hey, here's the date. Are you available? And then we'll try to send this couple a few other people and say, hey, these are very talented people that are also available. So that way, if we are telling them no, we're not just saying good luck. We're saying, hey, we don't believe we're the best fit for you, but here are some other alternatives, people that are ready, willing, and available to film what you need. And usually that works out really well. Now, whenever you turned down, start turning down clients, uh, what point in your career did you start doing that? Was that 
I mean, like, was that something where you're like, I'm so busy, I have to start saying no to people? Or was there like, that's just not my client, even though I need the work, I'm not going to take that because it doesn't fit? Sure, sure. Um, I, I feel like anybody can turn anybody can turn down a client. Like, even when I was early starting out, there are, going back to those three things, if you're considering, hey, like, this is good pay, but... I don't really like working with these people and this this gig sounds horrible. Like probably don't take it unless you're like de- desperate for money at that point. And that's that saved me a lot. I also try to listen to my gut and I'm like is this just feels weird? Okay, then I probably won't won't do this here. Um I remember even when I was early starting out within like the first year, I had people coming to me like, "Hey, can you film this like burlesque show?" and I'm like, "I'd rather not like it's just this weird thing of like Matt Johnson makes wedding films some great Christian videos and burlesque shows like it's not the vibe that I'm going for here so like I had to you know you say no to stuff like that you say no to to a lot of things that if if you don't like agree with them for certain reasons and things like that it's I think I think anybody can say no as long as you are clear in your understanding of why you're saying no and you don't have to necessarily articulate that to the client but at the bare minimum I always am trying to say hey if I'm not available here are other people that are available and this is jogging my memory so going back to your previous question about how can you get more business and how can you keep on how can you be getting jobs even if you're like desperate like I really need jobs right now how can this help me I need to you know be able to get this stuff and do it one of the biggest things for me, and bringing this all back to Weld, and also to, because we have to bring up Weld. We have to. We have to. Is so much of it is building a community of people. And so I know most of the wedding filmmakers in Dallas now because we're all a part of this Facebook group together and we're always talking. And the benefit of it is that if I'm not available for a gig, I post it on this Facebook group that I'm a part of. And other people see it and they say, oh, I'm available, I'm available. And so I have booked so many weddings that were referrals from other videographers. So if you're out there and you're trying to build your business and you're saying, I'm not getting any gigs, nobody knows who I am, start a Facebook group of other, if you're in a small town, start a Facebook group and like meet other videographers in your town or other towns around you. Start a Start gr- start a group, start a meetup, start hanging out. We had a meetup last month and it was awesome. Just uh, when I say we, it's me and like other videographers in Dallas. It was a weird like hangout of like, tell us your worst wedding stories. Everybody's like standing around just telling wedding stories. It was so much fun. <laughs> but like by building that community, you're going to be able to get a lot more business than you would otherwise. What, uh, what else do you think is important? I mean, is there anything else we haven't covered for new freelancers. Hmm. That's a broad. Stuff's question. just like, yeah, it is. Super broad. Casey gets real close to the microphone. Tell me, tell me your feelings. Tell How do you feel about, okay. <laughs> Cheap gear versus buying good gear on credit. Ooh. My biggest recommendation to anybody starting, if you are starting out, you're not sure about certain gear you're trying to like considering going into debt to purchase gear i would not recommend going into debt first of all because gear is changing so quickly especially in the video world it's it, it the 
amount that video quality has changed in it in the past decade is insane. And if you went out and bought like a $20,000 red camera or something like that starting out, like it would not be doing nearly as well now considering how much the technology has improved, for example. So I would not recommend going into debt for gear that is going to be obsolete relatively quickly, especially with how quickly things are changing. Everybody's like, you got to be 4K now. You got to upgrade, got to upgrade, got to upgrade. So my biggest recommendation is to rent and build that into your costs and say, hey, like, I just need to rent this camera. I have a friend of mine. He shot weddings for years. He always rented. He, he, never, he never bought a camera. He would just rent cameras, have them shipped in, shoot the wedding, be done. It was great. And that renting has saved me so much money because I'll go in to a uh, thinking I'll, I'll go into, you know, some new piece of gear will come out and I'll say, oh, my gosh, like these new lenses are incredible. These uh, these those Zeiss Milvis lenses came out really awesome, beautiful image. I rented them, hated them. <laughs> Not no no fault of them. Gorgeous lens, amazing, but really heavy, and the focus throw, you had to rotate your hand all the way around and then, like, rotate it again all the way around to get... So if I needed to rack focus on anything, it was, like, a two-rotation thing. Great in cinema, not so great if you're trying to rack focus quickly at a wedding. So for me, I was like, hey, I'm instead of me spending a couple thousand dollars on these lenses, I only spent, like, a hundred bucks, and now I know that I don't like them, so... So then, like, say... I mean, it's... Do you feel like there's a point where you it's like more beneficial to go ahead and buy like if I'm rent if you're renting something a whole lot and you're like look I'm using this I should go ahead and or would you just say go ahead and keep renting it until you can afford to buy it straight up definitely I would say rent if it's over like a thousand dollars but if it's sub one thousand dollars if it's something that you know that you're going to be using often then I would not rent so. Let's say that you have you're shooting if you if you're shooting more than one gig per month, you probably just want to buy a camera because that's gonna pay for itself very quickly and you're not gonna be spending like hundreds of bucks shipping one in. But when it before you purchase that camera, rent it once, make sure you like it and that it works well. Because I have people ask me all the time. They say, Matt, I want to buy an A7 III. Oh no, but I want the GH5. What should I buy? I'm like, rent both of them. See how you feel. Because they're both very different cameras, and it's going to feel different. And a lot of that is very subjective. For sure. Definitely. Especially how people go like, uh, Nikon or Canon, which one do you think is better? I'm like, I mean, it's like Ford versus Chevy. It's like, they're both great cameras. They're both great companies. They do basically the same thing. It's a matter of which one do you prefer. But Sony's better. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, did you know I got an A7S II? Really? Yeah. I bought that kit of uh, Rokinon Sony Primes. Very nice. Very nice. I still have the Canon, though. Hey. I almost jumped ship, but I'm I'm straddling the two worlds right now. The <laughs> Canon, Sony, and then shooting this on an iPhone X. Yes. The X has Quality. been pretty incredible. Yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan of it. Ah, I like it. Uh, anything else before we wrap up, man? I've had a great time. It's been really fun. You need to grow the beard out longer again. I've been thinking about it. You were my inspiration. Really? At Weld, starting, I'm like, man, Casey's Casey's got it long. I could do it long, too. I should keep going. How long have you been growing that out for now? <sighs> 2012. You haven't cut it at all, really? Uh, I've cut it. I had, to, I had to get married, so I had to cut it down a lot. And then I had to, if I don't trim it, it goes out 
horizontally, not vertically, so it looks real bushy. So I have to keep it. I'm like, go down, go down. It's like a topiary. You got to shape it. I feel like that. It, is it still growing down more, or is it kind of at like a terminal length? Um, it's still growing down. What's weird is that the hairs are quite curly, so it actually goes down. Like I'll find hairs down to like my belly button. Sometimes like, where did that one come from? What is going on? Like it's it's super it'd be a lot longer if it was straighter. Yeah. I uh I felt like mine the last time I did it, it was like three years I'd, before I cut it, since I'd cut it. And uh it just like I felt like it, it stopped growing. Which is part of the reason I was like, All right, I'm done with this, I think, for a little while. I remember that. You came in and it was like, Who is this dude? Like I have no idea who that is. Like nobody recognized you yeah it was pretty hilarious it was pretty hilarious just to be like just walking around and welding just like owning the place and people like who is this guy the problem for me is that people i feel like people listen to me as a quote-unquote authority on youtube in very small niches of wedding filmmaking for example but i feel like a little bit of it comes from the beard and like oh this guy it seems a little older a little more distinguished maybe but if I shave, people are like, who is this teenager trying to tell me what camera to buy? And I'm like, he didn't. He looks too clean cut to know what he's talking about. He's grit. He's too young. What is this? Dang it. So also like the beard kind of has a personality of its own now, considering that a, a good 20 percent of the comments that I receive are just beard related in some way. So I, I feel like I can't shave it now. Without the beard, who was Matt? Who would Matt be? Who was Matt? Who is Matt? I, that's what will be on my gravestone. Who was Matt? I'll, I'll make a... Because I already have whoismatt.com. I'll buy whoismatt.com, and I'll make it a funeral site whenever I... <laughs> in in memory of Matt Johnson. Somebody make that happen. If I don't do that, thank you. I feel like it'd be very comical and very lighthearted. Oh, yeah. When we got married, I did whoisrachel.com. Just got to keep it going. Got to. All right, man. Well, uh, thanks for coming on. It's been fun. It's been so much fun. Maybe we'll do it again sometime. Uh, before we go, where can people find you? Whoismat.com is the website. YouTube.com slash whoismat. Basically, whoismat everywhere except for Twitter because there's another guy who took whoismat before I did. So I'm whoismatj on Twitter. Okay. And then uh, wedding stuff? Filmstrong Productions at filmstrong.com. Sweet. Put links to all those yes. show notes. Find those at vacacy.com slash freelance Friday. Have you started, have you considered doing like a vacations brand, like vacations by Casey, vacacy? That's actually where the name originally came from. It was this idea of like a travel brand of like, oh, I'll like travel and adventure and it'll be like vacation Casey. Yes, I love that. It could happen at some point. I have the van. <laughs> it's the, the build is happening. It's you have progress. the website. Yes. You have the name. Well, until next time. Bye. Freelance Friday is a Vacacy production. Vacacy is a full-service video production company based in Dallas, Texas. Vacacy. Big video production value. Freelance agility and scale.